Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and for those of you watching the video, you'll notice that I'm in a different environment, and that's because I went to Chiang Mai, Thailand uh, for the next few weeks to avoid the increasing restrictions that have been happening around China uh, around the novel coronavirus. It's not that I'm worried about getting the virus necessarily. It's pretty unlikely uh, statistically that I would get it, and even if I did as a young, uh, healthy guy, it's unlikely that I would... Um, it, it would be fatal, but nonetheless, it's the restrictions that they're putting on life and how easy it is to move around and do regular sort of social activities has become, just become quite difficult. And so I decided to, uh, get out of Dodge for a little bit and wait it out here in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And hey, it's not so bad to be in a, a tropical place and hang out where, um, you know, there's lots of sunshine, which is quite different from Chengdu in the winter. It's usually quite gray and sort of cold and humid, which is sort of a somewhat of a bad combo to be cold and humid because the, the cold sort of sticks in the air. So I'm happy to be here. And ultimately, I'd actually like to express a great deal of gratitude to all of you who are supporting Mandarin Blueprint by either uh, participating in the community by uh, obviously those of you who are on the course and those of you who engage with our content because uh, the reality is that coming here has not really hurt my work. It's not made, uh, you know, it's not been a big impact in the sense that, you know, a year ago I couldn't leave Chengdu and expect to be able to still uh, play my part in the company without us, you know, losing significant income. And because of the, you know, great participation from all of you, I feel incredibly grateful to be able to say that we're actually, we're doing fine. You know, it's, uh, things are going well. I'm able to get a lot of work done. Uh, we're still um, getting more people on the course and it's actually right now we're doing quite well. So uh, we're just, I know that Luke and I are both very grateful, but I feel particularly grateful because I was even able to leave my home situation under circumstances that aren't exactly, uh, you know, entirely voluntary, and yet I'm still able to thrive and function. You know, it's not even like I'm slowing down by being here. It's actually uh, kind of given me some extra inspiration, and so uh, just thank you to everyone. You're you're excellent. You're great uh, at engaging with the course and. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to do so. And um, I uh, thought I would share something with you guys that I came across while walking through uh, Chiang Mai because this is an interesting time. It's a, it's a scary time a little bit with the um, epidemic happening, but uh, we're also seeing some of the triumph of the human spirit to some degree in this time. And so I came across this um, banner that was outside of a hotel here in Chiang Mai, and it was a message from Thai people to Chinese people, and I thought that it would be worth sharing. So I put the picture in the show notes below, and I will now uh, go through it, and there's just four lines, and I'll just uh, read each line and then uh, tell you how they, they translated it. So if you look at the picture, it's got a Thai flag and a Chinese flag and a couple of hearts in between, and the first line says, 向中国人民致以深切慰问。And so this line means, uh, so whenever you see 向, it means towards. So like I'm directing this towards 
and then it's Zhongguo Renmin, the people of China. And then this next bit is a quite a written way of saying uh, sort of, well, it's a, it, as we have talked about before, there's written Chinese and there's spoken Chinese. This next bit is more of a written Chinese phrase, but uh, So, is a way of saying to extend or express, and then is our deepest sympathies or condolences. So, as you can imagine, that's sort of a more formal way. Uh, we, you know, we'd like to extend our deepest sympathies towards the people of China. So that's the first line. And then the next line. 真诚希望亲人们早日战胜疫情,度过难关. So this line. Uh,真诚希望, truly hope. You know, we sort of implied that we truly hope. Uh, and then, 亲人们. So that's a way of saying our relatives or our brothers and sisters. So, Qin is the uh, Chinese character for relatives, and interestingly enough, it also means to kiss, but kind of like not necessarily in a romantic way. Like you kiss somebody on the cheek and you just gave them, it's like, uh, it's a little Qin, and so it's sort of something you recognize as you, you'd kiss your relatives on the cheek, that type of thing. And so, Qinren is just somebody who you consider to be, even if they're not literally a relative, they're close enough to you that they, you call them that, and then they add the men because it's plural, obviously. There's lots of Chinese people, so. And then, that means in early days, so like to defeat. And jian means like war, so it's like a war uh, victory. So like, uh, like the, to have victory over the yiqing, which is the epidemic. It's sort of the, um, that's the way you say epidemic, yiqing. And the yi has that, uh, character component in it that explains that's like for illness so it makes sense that that would be there and then the final bit here is and that is a very common um, way of expressing the idea of getting through a tough time so means to get through or pass through but it's usually in relation to something that's somewhat arduous and then in Nanguan it's like the uh, uh, the, the rough time that they're going through. So the, the translation for this whole sentence would be, we truly hope our brothers and sisters will soon defeat this epidemic and get through this difficult time. Then the final bit here, 中泰已加亲,我们爱中国,中国加油. So, 中泰, this is a great way of just, you can do this with lots of different uh, countries. You take the main character from the two countries and you just say both of them and that indicates the relationship between the two countries. So here we have Zhong Tai. So Zhong Guo, Tai Guo. So China, Thailand, Zhong Tai. And you could say Zhong Mei, which would mean China, America. You've been seeing that a lot with the trade war stuff going on. Um, and then so it says Zhong Tai, Yi Jia Qin. So that's saying we are one family, Thailand and uh, China. We love China, which uh, just means uh, you can do it. It's like basically encouragement. And uh, there's this actually beautiful video that you might have seen going around uh, social media of the people of Wuhan uh, in their apartments, but they're in their high-rise apartments and they're standing on their balconies and they're kind of yelling out to each other, Wuhan, uh, and they're kind of just sort of saying, hey, we can get through this. We can... 
we can do it. We can defeat this epidemic. And just to run across this while walking down the street, once again struck me that there are certain things that we can all get on board with as, you know, sort of being against. There's no people who are for an epidemic. It's something we can all uh, get behind trying to, um, you know, fight and express solidarity with. So um, that was really great to see. And I thought I just wanted to share that with you guys. So I uh, hope that you found that uh, interesting. And again, you can check out the picture in the show notes. Next, uh, what, I'm recording this on February 12th, and by the time this comes out, it'll be a little bit after Valentine's Day, but Luke actually wrote up a little, uh, a little sort of blurb about how he's very grateful for learning Chinese on Valentine's Day because he, um, well, Luke's, you know, he's having a baby now, and he's uh, got married since we started the... Um, the course and it's to his Chinese wife and he's gotten to know his Chinese relatives and it's all because he's been able to speak Chinese and so he wrote up this this letter and I'm going to read it to all of you because I found it to be quite um, moving and uh, uh, knowing Luke I'm sure that he would rather he, he's a he's kind of a humble guy so he'd probably not want to uh, read it himself but I thought I would read it so this is Luke's thoughts on Valentine's Day so he says so, Valentine's Day is coming up, and it got me thinking about how much Mandarin has impacted my life. When I came to China in 2013, I headed straight for Chengdu, Sichuan province. I met my wife on my very first day here, and we've pretty much been together ever since. Her first impression of me was my voice. She said I sounded like Chris Martin from Coldplay. She loved how I pronounced my very basic Mandarin to complain about having to pay for mayonnaise while ketchup was free. <laughs> Despite being the manager of the restaurant, she was still impressed. We connected over my love of her language, and as the years passed and my Mandarin skills developed, we were able to communicate with growing depth. I asked her to marry me in a park in Beijing, overlooking the summer palace. We got married in her hometown one month later, and her entire family celebrated with us by force-feeding me baijiu and mountains of food. I was able to connect instantly with her hilarious sisters and brothers-in-law, kind and caring aunts and uncles, and her selfless mother. None of them had ever met anyone who wasn't Chinese before, but because I had a firm grasp of their mother tongue, they made me feel like I had always been a part of the family. Her grandfather is almost 100% deaf, but thanks to my ability to read and write Chinese, I was able to hold many silent conversations with him, in which I learned all about his fascinating tales of life in Shanghai during the Cultural Revolution. I was able to give a moving speech in Mandarin, in which I promised her father, the kindest man I have ever met, that I would make lots of strong grandchildren for him and take care of his daughter. I was able to whisper kind words of comfort to the man in his last moments as he passed away three months later. Next month, I'll be fulfilling my promise to him as we bring our first child into the world. We're going to call him George, or Zhi. There are many reasons to learn Mandarin, and I'm certainly not saying that the only reason, or even the main reason, is to build connections with future loved ones. All I can say is that getting to know my wife and her family has been the highlight of my life, 
and I wouldn't have been able to do so without investing the time necessary for proficiency in Mandarin. Much love, Luke. And, uh, you know, I found this to be quite a moving thing. I've known Luke and Nana for many years now, and I'm so happy for them and their, uh, you know, marriage and their upcoming, uh, their upcoming baby. And of course, uh, hopefully they'll, they'll see me as Uncle Phil, <laughs> like from the Fresh Prince. But, um, you know, it's uh, absolutely amazing what you can discover when you actually are able to learn Mandarin to the degree that Luke has. And uh, it, it's, and he's right, you know, it doesn't have to be the only reason, but man, it's, a, it's incredible that you could find somebody that you not only uh, fall in love with, but that you can build an entire life with uh, after you learn a language. So whatever your motivation is to learn, just remember that there's going to be payback for the effort that you put in. There's no doubt about it. Today's grammar point is covering the tag GW, how does what, to what degree. So this grammar tag is still focusing on adverbs like we did before, which again, we like to express as how does what, because an adverb really is just expressing that there's an action and how is that action done or or how did it is it you know there's there a degree to which the action was done is there a uh, tone of voice to it is there a denial and so this one is about to what degree an action has happened and so uh you know i could just say that um my mouth is dry or I could say my mouth is very dry, or I could say my mouth is extremely dry, which is the first sentence here. And what we want to understand is how can you express these different levels of degree using adverbs in Mandarin? So we're going to go through some sentences and show you some different ways of going about it. And let's take a look at the first sentence, which is actually a sentence that doesn't provide much degree at all. Or you could say it's a neutral degree, which is the sentence is, and this just means my mouth is dry, which if you've seen our pronunciation mastery course, you'll be aware that when you have a noun connecting to an adjective and you don't need to add any particular extra um, emphasis to express degree, you use simply to connect them. So it just means is. A lot of people translate as meaning very, and there is one context where it means very, but the neutral way of expressing that a noun is an adjective, so like, I am happy, that is the conjunction that you're going to use there is so really in this situation, isn't really an adverb, it's more of a conjunction, but we want to have that as your basis because that's how you express something uh, that without sort of giving it any special degree. Now, if I were to say the sentence, which just means I love you, if I were to add here and say, that means I really love you. And so you're increasing the degree at that point. And the difference here is that I or xihuan or taoyan or hen, these are psychological verbs. These are verbs that are in, they're just inside your emotional apparatus. So when you're talking about feelings, 
and the how you sort of verb the feeling, how you act the feeling out. Like it's like if I love someone, it's an action to some degree, but it's sort of just existing in my psychology. Then you can use hut to increase the degree. So it's the difference between I love you and I really love you. But when you're just talking about a noun connecting to an adjective, like then that is translated simply as is. So all the sentences from now on, we're going to have something that does either increase or decrease the degree of the verb. And the most common one that you'll probably see is So the next sentence is So literally means non ordinary. Fei is what you say to indicate N-O-N hyphen. So it's sort of like a prefix that means non whatever comes after it. And then chang means ordinary or regular. So non-ordinary, that's another way of saying very. So anything that's very something is by very definition, by the fact that you're saying the word very, is not ordinary. So that's kind of an interesting thing how Chinese can take such a simple word like very that we don't really think too much about in English and express it more clearly with its two characters. So, means the table of food smells really great. And now if I were to just say, it would just be the table of food smells great. Not smells really great, just smells great. So, uh, by putting in the fei chang, we're indicating that it's not just your average great smell. It's a really great smell. And so it's a step above hun. Now let's look at another one here. This is a quite useful one. And uh, the character hai is one that has a few different meanings. And this is one where it kind of expresses a degree. So here's the sentence. So, this means quite clean. Oh, this uh, hospital, it's uh, quite clean. It's passably clean. It's less intense than Fei Chang. So, when you see this, like a lot of times people will say, Hai bu cuo. Hai bu cuo. And that means, like, yeah, all right, not bad. It's passably okay, right? And so, it's in between Hun and Fei Chang. So, Fei Chang is like, I'm expressing, yeah, this is really good. But, Hai, it's kind of, it's more of a, yeah, quite good. You can imagine somebody's walking into the hospital and they're going, okay, eh, this is all right, it's fine. You know, you're not, they're not uh, walking in aghast at how amazingly clean it is, but it's passively clean, so Hai Gan Jing. And uh, so that's kind of a mid-range uh, level. Now let's look at another one. This one is not too much different from Fei Chang. So if we look at the sentence, This just means they're truly awful. And Zhen is just another uh, word you can choose to indicate some level of degree. So Zhen means true or truly. And so in this case, it's just another way of expressing a similar idea. If you said It's pretty much the same. Like perhaps Zhen is slightly higher than Fei Chang, but it's really, you know, just as in English, there's lots of different ways to express the same idea, so is there in Chinese. So when it comes to Zhen and Fei Chang, they're virtually the same. Now, next we have uh, this sentence. And so this 
sentence uses tai, which means two, T-O-O. And so, like many things in, uh, you know, language, you'll sometimes mean it literally, and you'll sometimes mean it metaphorically or hyperbolically. So, in this sentence, I doubt that the speaker thinks that this woman is literally too beautiful. I mean, it's possible, I suppose, maybe she was particularly resentful. She's too beautiful today. Uh, but for the most, it almost definitely is she's saying she's extraordinarily beautiful. She's so beautiful that I, she's too beautiful, but it's a, it's a hyperbolic statement, you know what I'm saying? So the sentence is meant to maybe even take it a step further than Fei Chang by saying it's, she's too beautiful today. Now, to note about Tai is that Tai, when it's the object of the sentence, or, or sorry, when it's the um, predicate of the sentence, the does what, it's kind of always paired with look. So it's Tai, adjective like Piaoliang, or Mei, or some, you know, or Hao. Tai Hao Le is just a way of saying fantastic. It's so, it's too good, right? And uh, so Tai Piaoliang Le is Tai plus adjective plus look. And if you want to negate something, if you want to say bu tai piaoliang, you will not use le. So if you want to say bu tai, not very, that's a way of lowering the degree in some way. So tai piaoliang is raising the degree. It's like she's so beautiful. And then bu tai piaoliang is more of a tactful way of saying eh, she's not that beautiful, right? But if you're going to say bu tai, then you don't use le. It's only in the positive that you use le. So that's a quite extreme one. How about the most extreme? If you're gonna raise the degree to the highest level possible, you're gonna to wanna to use the character zui, which means most. So you can't go any higher than zui. So here's the sentence. So my mom is the most beautiful. So it's not possible to be more beautiful than, than your mom. This might be what like a, a four-year-old would say. I think we all think our, our fathers are the most beautiful in the world when we're uh, really young. So zui is, it's the top shelf of adverbs. It's the highest you can go. So if we look at some other uh, adjectives, adjectives and see how zui changes them, you know, you have uh, gao, which means high. Zui gao means the highest. So Mount Everest is the zui gao de uh, mountain, right? And so hao, that means good. Zui hao is best, the best. Um, May beautiful, zui may most beautiful. So you get the idea. If you use zui before the adjective, you can always increase the degree to the highest that it will go. But so far we've talked about raising the degree. What if we want to lower the degree? So if the initial sentence was gan, uh, which just means my mouth is dry. So what if we want to say it's a little dry? It's not just dry, I want to express that it's lower in degree. Well, there you want to use yo dian or yo diar. Uh, for this one, both north and south tend to say uh, yo diar, but a lot of people will also say yo dian. But regardless, here's a sentence. So it's saying, during the day, uh, my stomach was hurting a bit, a little bit. And so it's not saying... If you just said, um, that would mean it was quite, you know, it was painful. It was not a little painful, it was painful, right? And so by adding 有点, you kind of add a little tack to it, add a little bit of a, 
just expressing, okay, it's just a, just a skosh, just a little bit, but you know, there's a difference of degree there that the adverb once again uh, shows. And the way you can understand this yodian uh, is that yodian is really yoidian, yoidian. They just omit the e because dian's a measure word, meaning a dot or a spot or a bit, right? So yo has e dian has one bit. So it's a little way of saying, um, it's just another way of saying like, that's a little bit of whatever comes after it. And so when you think of it like that, you recognize, okay, of course this means a bit because it's, it's translates directly has one bit and they just omit the E, uh, because you can do that with any measure word. You if, you, if it's E and not like, you know, five or 10, if it's just one, you can omit the one and you know that that's the missing number. So, yo dian, yo dian, or yo diar. And then the final sentence we'll talk about today is one that is, it's, it's actually a great little uh, grammatical structure in Chinese. And it's a way of saying, it's a way of lowering the degree to the, to the lowest you can go. So, zui was to raise it to the highest degree. This one's gonna be to lower it to the lowest degree. And it means like not even a little bit. So um, here's the sentence. So this is a great structure. And you can also have or do are both okay. But this isn't the exact way we would express it in English. We would say, you know, you don't care about me in the slightest. We'd say in the slightest or not even a little bit, right? But the way it's actually structured in Chinese is you one bit also don't, and then insert whatever you think that is. So in this case, it's guanxin or care about. So you one bit also don't care about me. So it's like really emphasizing that there's no degree at all to which you, you know, care about or whatever other action or adjective you want to put in there. And so it's quite, it's quite harsh. I find, you know, it's like you, if I had one bit, you'd also not get it. And so, uh, you can also use do, which means all. So, uh, you one bit all don't care about me. So either one is okay. They're interchangeable, but bear that in mind that these different levels, uh, can be established by changing the adverb. So you can go from everywhere, from from not at all to the most and a bunch in between. And this is by no means an exhaustive list of all the different uh, uh, adverbs of degree that there are. However, this should give you a good sense of how to recognize when the purpose of an adverb is to change the degree to which the action or the adjective is understood. So that is the grammar point GW, how does what, to what degree, so if you want to go into your Anki browser sidebar, find that tag, you can see all sentences that have this tag, and that'll give you even deeper an understanding of how this works. As always with grammar, just recognize this point so that you can notice it as you continue to input and keep it up as you move forward. Okay, so we're gonna start off with our first question from Jennifer Swanson in the Mandarin Blueprint Community Forum. And as a reminder, if any of you are on the uh, Mandarin Blueprint course, whether it's the Pronunciation Master or any of the other courses, you will have access to the Community Forum. And uh, there's lots of people posting there and you can get a sense of uh, 
how to uh, do anything in the course really with more than just Luke or myself potentially answering you. It's actually quite uh, lovely when we get responses from other people in the community. That's um, quite supportive. So here's Jennifer's post. She says, hello, just started today with the free trial and know I'm going to just keep going already after finishing unit one of the pronunciation course. My hubby has been taking Mandarin courses and learning online for six months as he has suddenly found himself working in a new job where only a handful of people speak English and the rest speak Mandarin or Taiwanese, which is quite close to Mandarin. We plan to go to Taipei and immerse ourselves for a few weeks with the help of a tutor, but I want to not be a complete newbie when we go. My dream is to learn quite a bit over the next seven months so as to be able to somewhat function while on the trip. I'm not sure how much is possible between work and other commitments, but I am motivated to at least feel safe being able to read some words and also because I have a lot of food allergies, so need to communicate those somehow too. Looking forward to this learning adventure. So yeah, you'll definitely be able to get a lot done in seven months, Jennifer. And just as a, a point of, um, you know, sort of that'll come in very handy for you if you have a lot of food allergies. So the word for allergy in Chinese is guomin, guomin. And this word literally means overly sensitive. And it's a great word for helping you understand a grammatical structure in Chinese that, you know, if you're just starting off, this might be a little bit advanced, but it will come in handy for you. And you can always save this video for when you're a little bit more advanced. But there's a structure which is doi, which means towards something, and then you say something about it. And if you want to say that you're allergic to something, you say towards, for example, imagine you're allergic to cats. You could say doi mao, which is the word for cat, doi mao guomin, wo doi mao guomin. And that means uh, to be allergic to cats because you towards cats overly sensitive right and you could just insert whatever food you're allergic to so for example suppose it's peanuts a lot of people are allergic to peanuts that's hua sheng so dui hua sheng guomin dui hua sheng guomin and so if you ever want to say anything that you're allergic to that's the structure dui towards insert food guomin and then you just want to add wo to in, in uh indicate that you're the one who is uh, allergic to uh, peanuts or cats or whatever food. And uh, in seven months, you're going to be able to get a lot of characters under your belt. You're going to be able to have a, a great deal of pronunciation understanding. And as I say, Taiwanese is not that different from Mandarin in terms of their uh, overall language. There are some dialectical differences, but, uh, you know, comparatively speaking, it's very close. And so your pronunciation will definitely be understood. And people will understand you if you're speaking more standard Mandarin. They'll understand you no problem. And so uh, just keep it up. Just make sure it's every day. I know that you have a lot of work commitments. So, you know, maybe it's some days, it's only five minutes. Just don't have any zero days. That's the best advice I can give you is to make sure that you don't let yourself go, uh, you know, longer um, than a day because it just habits are they're so unforgiving and incredibly rewarding depending on which way you go so if you let the habit go it's very unforgiving it's like it, it, it you quickly will stop feeling like it's automatic but if you do do it every day it starts to feel as if it's not even work to get it 
started. So like, you know, I did um, in 2019, I took zero days off from going to the gym. Um, and, you know, I varied up the exercises. I didn't always do like heavy lifting or something. That's because that's unhealthy. I would sometimes just go and do an hour of yoga or, you know, just do some cardio or something like that. But by doing that, now going to the gym, even though this year I'm not necessarily giving myself that zero days off uh, uh, restriction, I'm still, it's just most days I go because it just feels like it's a part of the routine. It's just a part of the pro, uh, the daily sort of um, process. So uh, as long as you do some every day, you'll make great progress in seven months. So keep it up, Jennifer. Next, we have a couple of emails from Ramona, and she, uh, I really liked these emails, so I thought we would talk about them a little bit. She says, hi, dear friends of the Chinese culture and language. Okay, I'm still shooting movies for my characters, and I'm on level 10 now. The Henza movie method takes me to places only I know, allows me to meet people I haven't seen in a while, and makes me relive my life in a different way. Question, now that I'm only doing the Henza movie method, mainly because my goal for the moment is to finally be able to read, do you think I should focus only on this or look for other type of stuff like listening to podcasts, etc.? It's quite funny, I'm living in China for three years, and I may say that I'm an analphabet. I think, I think what she means is um, that she maybe is like, oh, I guess she's saying I was anti-alphabet, or like I didn't have anything uh, related to the alphabet. This had to stop. So here we are. I'm using your amazing and fun method to finally start being able to read. I hope you enjoyed my answer, and thank you for your efforts and passion. And P.S. I love your motivational videos after finishing at least three levels. They keep me moving ahead. Uh, the quarantine time here in China is a good time to learn more these days. Cheers, Ramona. And so in response to this question, um, while you're doing the Hansa movie method, one thing you can do that is just a uh, across the board good idea is to set up a speaker in your house and have it play uh, Chinese podcasts all the time. Uh, you can download Chinese audio from various websites. There's... Um, there's Himalaya FM or Simalaya FM. There's Lijur FM, which is uh, just lots of Chinese podcasts on it. And sure, the app is in Chinese, but like you can actually just sort of click around because you know you're not um, you're not going to be understanding what you're listening to anyway. It's just about immersion and getting yourself to hear the sounds in Chinese and getting used to it. So. That said, though, I think there's something to be said for having a one-track mind and just going, I'm going to really work on these characters because you're going to need to know them. Like, there's no doubt. There's no way around it. At some point, you're going to have to learn them. And who's to say that learning a bunch of characters first and then going back and learning a bunch of words and then doing more immersive things then is the wrong way to go. It's just that, for sure, having the Chinese on, even if you can't understand it, can only help, it can't hurt. So one of the things that Katsumoto always says is turn the volume down, don't turn it off. So like his idea is that you should always have the Chinese playing regardless of what's going on. And if it's too loud or it's interrupting your your life, just turn it down to like level one volume because then it won't be distracting. But when you go back to silence in your room or wherever you are, you'll hear it playing and you'll turn the volume back up. But if you were to turn it off, you might forget that it was on and forget to turn it back on. So the idea is that if you just never turn it off, there's a sort of a glorious simplicity to it and it just keeps 
giving you chances to notice. There's more opportunities to notice and that's really all you need. And so uh, great to hear that you enjoyed the motivational videos and yeah, the quarantine can be a good time to get some work done. Um, and Ramona sent another email that was, uh, it was great. She said, uh, hi, dear Luke and Phil L goes before, before P that's why the order <laughs> it's fine. It doesn't really matter. It's quite funny these days. I even thought about giving you a short feedback, but I've been caught up in the videos and a bit in the new virus challenge. As you may not remember, I'm living in Shanghai and I'm still here. Didn't leave the country. So yeah, I can appreciate that that's a, that's a challenge, but again, you know, you're making the best of it. Okay. Back to your great course. I'm done with the pronunciation and currently on level nine shooting daily new movies for all my characters. I was not sure uh, at the beginning if this will work, but I'm having a lot of fun. The Hunza movie method gives me daily the chance to quote unquote, go to old apartments I've lived in quote unquote, visit old friends, houses, and quote unquote, meet older new people from my life in quite unusual places. Sometimes your course gives me now more than ever, maybe due to the home quarantine we're all facing at the moment, a great discipline. I'm not usually like that. I'm always excited about the new videos and that's a great compliment guys. Yes. Be motivated to go on. It's worth it. I don't often read what people say, but I saw these days how one guy was complaining about the bad sound in the Anki cards, not an issue at all. In my case, he's, she's referring to uh, Rick and Rick is fine. It's, I totally don't mind him uh, saying that the Anki cards could be higher volume. He's actually helping us increase the uh, volume on those uh, as, as we speak perhaps. And uh, so she says, anyways, I don't mean to upset anyone with this. It's just a reminder for you not to get discouraged by certain comments but I'm sure you know that by now. Okay. I hope you made it this far in my email and you don't need any eye transplants <laughs> and hope to hear from you too. Uh, not only a formal text, but also a more personal one. If you want, how is your life in the quarantine? For example, haha, I'm sure it's a great chance to work more on your beautiful course. Take care and all the best e hug from Ramona. Well, e hug right back Ramona. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that Ramona has pointed out here, which I thought is so cool, and she said it kind of alluded to it in both emails, is that the Hands of Movie Method really does give you a chance to do a bit of an autobiography on your life. And, you know, self-knowledge is really important in life, knowing where you're, uh, the, the things that are likely to quote unquote trigger you, uh, the things that are, um, you know, defining to who you are and uh, the people who made an impact on your life occasionally going back through and reminding yourself of those places, those people, those memories, uh, is something that will likely be of benefit to you your whole life. I mean, why not occasionally go back and revisit these areas so that you can be grateful for the, the people who you've had in your life and gratefully for your experiences. Maybe you go back to a time that wasn't so great and then you can be grateful that you're not in that anymore. Or you can remember a time uh, where somebody was really wonderful to you and you can take that opportunity to uh, maybe actually in real life, send them a message and say, thank you for that. And the Hensa movie method kind of inherently encourages that type of reflection. And so uh, I'm delighted to see that that's how it's going for you. And uh, thank you for your concern about us. I know that Luke is doing fine in uh, Chengdu at the moment. He uh, always jokes that he and his wife, because she's, uh, you know, in 
she, she's like eight months pregnant. They don't do too much going out anyway, so the restrictions on movement aren't that big of a deal for them. Uh, and of course, I got out of the country. I'm in Thailand for the time being, so I'm doing fine. And uh, just really appreciate your email, Ramona, and uh, hope that you continue to do well in the course and continue to have fun revisiting your um, your past uh, sort of uh, people and places and um, enjoying that uh, reflection. Next, we have Tristan Knotts, an email from him. He says, hey guys, first of all, I want to say I love these motivational emails you send at the end of each level. Each one is quite encouraging and usually offers a nice little lesson or tip. I'm looking forward to reading many more of these. I also would like to say I'm, I've really been enjoying your method of learning Mandarin. I previously struggled, especially because so many words have the same pronunciation uh, and they would get all jumbled up in my head. It's clicked for me today when I was learning Dan and Dan. It was like, oh, it's totally fine that they have the same pronunciation. It actually works really well in creating two continuous movie scenes, right? Because if they're both uh, pronounced Dan, they will take place in the same location with the same actor. I'm excited to see where this takes me going forward. I don't know if you two are currently living in China, but I'm in Beijing for the next few months and we'll be traveling around the country after that. We'll be happy to chat or meet up if you're ever close by. Stay safe from the spooky coronavirus. Grateful customer, Tristan Knotts. Well, Tristan, uh, I'm glad to see that you're having those clicks, those moments where you go, oh, these distinctions, as long as I uh, attach the distinctions between, say, for example, uh, Dan and Dan, which only have one component distinction, as long as I attach the distinctions to something I can uh, clearly connect to, like an object or a person or a place, then suddenly all these things that seem overwhelming are not at all. They're just uh, you finding another piece of your memory that you already have in your brain and just connecting it to the Chinese in the way that would again, seemingly be too complicated from a small distinction perspective, but in your head it's just, oh, instead of it being uh, a sun and a razor blade, it's Chuck Norris and a rooster. And so like that is clear enough when you compare those things. Chuck Norris is nothing like uh, a sun, uh, a rooster is nothing like a razor blade, you know, but they actually represent a very small distinction, but you've turned it into a big distinction in your mind. And that allows you to have a very powerful set of um, tools at your disposal to remember anything. And um, I love how everybody's been so, uh, you know, concerned about the coronavirus. It's just, it's really, I'm very grateful that all of you um, have sent us such kind messages and we'll use that as motivation to continue to smash out some great content. Next, we have an email from Belinda. She says, hi, Luke and Phil. The Mandarin Blueprint Method is absolute genius. <laughs> I'm et ethnically Chinese Indonesian, but the language was lost many generations ago. So being Australian, English has been one of my one and only language. I've stopped started learning other languages before, although never Chinese. French, Japanese, Korean, German, been there, tried that, didn't stick. To start learning Mandarin at 33 years old sounds crazy to most people, but the Mandarin Blueprint Method works in a way that apps and textbooks don't. I can self-pace my learning and take advantage of my photographic memory and overactive <laughs> imagination. Suddenly having such a Western tongue is not a disadvantage. You guys cater for the English-speaking habits so effectively. 
and through Anki, the constant practice is making the characters stick. It's only been a matter of weeks. I'm only on to level 13, but once I've gotten further in, I'd love to share my experience uh, with this method. Perhaps a um, perhaps being on a podcast or even pitching an article to a literary magazine or journal about how unlocking Mandarin has brought me closer to my heritage and opened up more creative possibilities. I'm a writer and plan to incorporate some of my language learnings in my second novel. My first novel is still out on submission to U.S. publishers, fingers crossed. Some of my short stories have drawn on Chinese culture without me having an understanding of the language, so I'm excited to learn properly. Keep up the great work, and I can't wait to tell others about your amazing, amazing product. Kind regards, Belinda from Perth, Western Australia. Well, what a lovely email to receive. And, uh, you know, th 33 years old is definitely not too uh, late to <laughs> you know, start learning Mandarin, not at all. Um, I'm 32, and I certainly plan on learning other languages before... Uh, I shuffle off this mortal, mortal coil. You're definitely a writer. This is a very well-written email. And, um, you know, it's. I'm so pleased when people really click on what we're trying to do. Uh, clearly, Belinda gets the, you know, several layers in which we're trying to conceptualize the process of learning uh, Mandarin. And it's just thrilling to see when somebody really uh, connects with our methodology and sees how... Um, you know, this is going to work. It's a, that's the thing that's like really cool is that everybody who goes through the Mandarin Blueprint method long enough and gets to a far enough point, they realize, oh, like this will work and I actually will succeed if I just keep going. Uh, when you realize that isn't the moment that you have succeeded, it's the moment that you go, oh, I know that this works. I know this method works. I'm remembering things. Anki's letting them stick. I'm having less, uh, it's getting easier to do the method. And then you go, oh, well then this is just a matter of continuing to walk the path. And so, uh, great to hear that, um, Belinda, and best of luck. I hope that your um, first novel gets uh, its submission to the U.S. publishers. And um, regardless, uh, and if you, yeah, you want to get on the podcast at any point and talk about your experience, I'm sure everybody would love to hear all about that. Okay. Next, a, a question from Rick on Pick a Prop for Me. And, um, you know, it's sort of just a practical question. He says... Does this character refer to cooked or raw rice? I'm aware that they're distinguished in some Asian languages. Anyway, I think those measuring boxes they use in the markets full of raw rice is my prop. So, mi by itself, or da mi, is indeed raw rice. Um, and when you've cooked it, it's called mi fan because fan is kind of the word you have for meal. So you can assume that if there's fan in the word, that it's somewhat, you know, ready to eat. So uh, that's how you can make that distinction. So da mi is literally like big rice. That's just the grain of rice. And, uh, you know, mi by itself. Mi by itself can actually also mean meter, uh, like a one meter uh, or two meters, liang mi. Um, but yeah, so if it's by itself or da mi, it's raw. If it's mi fan, it's cooked. Uh, another one from Rick on the, on the lesson, time to get real about sentences. So this is, you know, in the first two phases of the course, we focus on uh, characters and words. And then in phase three, we start making you uh, focus on the uh, sentences for each word. So every time you unlock a word, you'll have at least one sentence per usage uh, that uses that word. And so Rick says, I'm looking forward to experiencing this. 
I like to understand grammar, and it's said that adult language learners have the advantage over children because they can explicitly learn the grammar. And I've looked at programs like Glossica and felt skeptical, but I trust you guys because you're speaking from experience. Here it goes. Well, thank you for your trust, Rick, and I'm sure you will not uh, regret it. One of the things that's, um, you know, kind of frustrating, I suppose, about acquiring grammar properly is that it doesn't really ever happen in a moment. Like, you sort of just continue to get input, and then when you output, it's correct because you just have all of this time to consider, or not even consider, just all of this time spent hearing things that actually made sense uh, from a grammatical perspective. And so you know, okay, say this thing I've heard a hundred times and don't say this thing I've never heard before. And so when you're actually acquiring grammar correctly, you won't know it. So that's a little bit frustrating, but we're going to, we've been starting to do these grammar lessons. And, but remember, it's always about giving your adult pattern recognition brain a little uh, push in the right direction. You know, you don't want to try to learn grammar too academically. The moment you find yourself thinking, this should actually be a relief to anybody learning language. The moment you find yourself thinking like, what, I don't really get this grammar point. How does it work? I'm confused. It's okay to just say, well, don't worry about being confused. Just read some more sentences. Just keep reading. Because the, the being confused about a grammar point is, again, it just indicates that you haven't seen it enough in context. Once you've seen uh, sentences enough in a certain context, then when the grammar point is explained, it's more like a, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I recognize that pattern. And now I'll recognize it a little more quickly than I did before because I saw the grammar point. But it should always be like a, a feeling of um, sort of enlightening what you already knew or making clearer what you already knew. And um, if it's a feeling like, I don't understand this, then it's too early to be approaching that grammar point or you're approaching it too academically. Another question from Rick on the make a movie for who, which means its most common meaning is and when you're connecting two nouns. Um, but he says, and is very abstract and hard to make a movie about, especially about and rather than just including it as a word in the script. Um, Heisig, referring to James Heisig and his book, Remembering the Simplified Huns, has this as harmony, which gives a bit more scope for images. Do you strongly advise and? Well, no, because, and I'm fine with you using harmony, because even though harmony is the secondary pronunciation for sure, it is, it does sometimes mean harmony. Uh, or these are words that are uh, these are all words where it's got more of that harmony uh, meaning and the while it's a secondary meaning when it's used as and it's so common that you'll easily be able to learn it top down and you're not going to be confused you're not going to think like is it saying he harmony i no it's saying he and i like obviously so like you'll you'll get that no problem you can learn the primary uh definition top down if you don't use it as and we like to have the primary definition be the keyword but sure and is a bit of a an abstract concept and it can be sometimes harder to make scenes when they're very abstract so switching it to harmony is fine this is a comment on the bonus conversation connectors uh, video. So this is when we started getting into some conversation connectors. And uh, Rick points out that Tim Ferriss did a stunt in which he was 
he learned as much Tagalog as possible in one week, then was interviewed on Filipino TV. He explains that he relied a lot on what you call conversation connectors to sound fluent while also filling in time. And that's exactly what the point of the conversation connectors are. Now, a lot of people have said that they find them to be a little bit uh, tricky to use. So remember, they're a bonus, and the, if you want to wait to focus on that deck until you're later on in the course, that's totally fine. Um, you know, they're, they're a bonus thing to help you uh, come up with some phrases that will help you buy some time while your brain catches up to what you're trying to learn. So if you're trying to learn a new language like Tagalog, which is the Filipino language, uh, you know, you want to figure out how to say things like, well, to tell you the truth, speaking frankly, if I were to take a moment to consider it, like all these things that you could say that would allow you to buy time and let your brain catch up to what you really want to say, it's just a great way to sound fluent, keep you talking, uh, stop the other people from interrupting you, and um, it's very useful uh, when you're in a second language because there's always a lag time between when you decide what you want to say and actually saying it. And in your native language, that lag time is almost imperceptibly short. Um, but in your second language, sometimes that can be a couple of seconds. And those couple of seconds can be vital. Uh, and if you just stop speaking for even two seconds, people are going to naturally jump in because uh, that's a lot of uh, dead time. And people aren't necessarily, as much as people might try to be uh, empathetic to the fact that you're learning a second language and you're not perfect at it yet, Nonetheless, they're probably a lot of times going to just be like, okay, well, uh, you haven't spoken, so I'm going to jump in now. It's just a natural instinct. So the conversation connectors can definitely help with that. Now, let's see. Tom on It's a Word for Jong. Uh, this answer was helpful. Thanks. This is coming from last week. Would it be grammatically correct to say, as opposed to, uh, in this kind of context? Or do you always drop the first d when the thing being possessed, in this case my son, is possessing something else, in this case a phone. So he's saying like there's a double possession. It's like, it's my son's phone, you know? So there's two possessions there. Um, so you you can add the extra d. It just starts to sound repetitive because the ultimate subject of the sentence is 电话. So uh, whose uh, phone is it? It's well, whose son is it? It's 我的儿子. So, since the ultimate thing is still the phone, you can just put the d before the phone. So, 我儿子的电话. And this will come up a lot because sometimes you'll have several different, uh, what are called a dingyu. So, 电话 is the subject. So, anything that's describing the subject is called a dingyu. And there is this concept in grammar called 多项定语, which means multiple uh, sort of types of. So you could think of, this is a type of phone. And the type of phone is the type that belongs to the son. And the type of son is the son that, uh, that belongs to me, right? And so you could have multiple types of things before you get to the final subject, which is the phone. And if you do that, you can save the d for the end, because that kind of indicates to the listener that this is the point. The dianhua is the point. And anything that comes before it is just descriptors of it. And you can say, 我的儿子的电话, 
but it starts to get a little bit like unnecessary to have so many because suppose there was more things it would be like if you put a d in between each one it would start to get um kind of annoying to listen to okay next we have a question from Ija on vocab unlocked from pin which means like uh, uh products and she says uh, hey guys just need a little bit of help to wrap my head around the term Changbei yao pin so that um sort of means like uh so yao pin is um pharmaceuticals or drugs in the drugstore and then um changbei this has a couple of meanings but it's sort of um chang means regular or ordinary and bei means prepared so like regularly prepared uh drugs or pharmaceuticals and sort of like standing medicine i understand why the some of the um dictionaries called this standing medicine it's really better to say it's like a regular product it's like regular drugs that we have at the drugstore anytime. Um, the character breakdowns gave me the idea of frequently prepared medicine, for example, over-the-counter drugs that families tend to keep for fever, headaches, tummy, tummy aches, etc. Standby medicine, maybe. And I'm wondering what else can be paired with Changbei. So uh, you could say, so one of the ways that Changbei gets used is to mean standing like a standing army. Like Changbei Jun, that's your standing army. Or... Um, Changbei Bing, which is like a, uh, that's a soldier who's a part of the standing army. And so that's an example where standing is correct. I think that the translation of standing medicine was incorrect. They were using the, the meaning of standing army, but with the concept of uh, Yaopin, which is drugs or pharmaceuticals. It's not really the right uh, pairing there. It should be uh, more like your regular products or your products that you can expect to see all the time in the drugstore. And it also could be in your home. It depends on the context. If you were to say, uh, would mean the products, or the drugs or pharmaceuticals that we always keep in our home. So like my parents always had Advil. So like Advil would be amongst their right? And then uh, you could just say, which just mean regular products, things that we always have, things that are just, and it's a little bit broader than yaoping. Yaoping is specifically drugs or pharmaceuticals. Chanping is just any product. And, uh, but you could have something like a which is a regular player. So you could imagine becoming a regular on the, you know, I don't know, some, some team, some minor league baseball team. So you're wanting to become a regular on the, on the minor league baseball team that would make you a, and so uh, we put some of those examples in the show notes if you want to check those out. But yeah, that's how it works. It's, uh, it's actually pretty straightforward. Next, we have Dawn Shannon Williams on Mandarin Initials Categorized. She just says, I was able to download the PDF. This information is a lifesaver. Wow, I wish you were around seven years ago. I've spent so much time and money uh, on, you know, different uh, Chinese products. And it's like, that's... um. You know, I uh, obviously I wish we had existed seven years ago, but uh, geez, seven years ago I didn't even start learning Chinese yet. So you'll be fine. You're gonna learn so quickly with this method, and I'm so thrilled that you're seeing how useful it's gonna be. It's really great to um, recognize how much time and money this really can save people. It's funny, you know, we're obviously selling the course and we're trying to uh, be a profitable business, but we are really saving people money if they want to learn Chinese properly. Cause I mean, compared to what you're going to pay for, uh, 
you know, all these other disparate services or tutors or, you know, poorly designed courses at university. Um, it's just not even close. So, all right. Tyson on Make a Movie for T. Just in case this is helpful to others, I wasn't sure if I'd remember to have two small strokes inside the Nian component, which is basically um, four or three strokes and it's like a little box. So I tweaked the props a little bit, ending up with these, these three. So it's Nian, R, and the Viking helmet. And so I uh, just flipped around. And so it's just a simple distinction. He's just basically choosing different props. And it, you can break down some of the characters into different prop groups than we suggested. And as long as you're clear on it and they, the prop groups do actually represent the character correctly, that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's always uh, no problem to do that if you are ever worried about that. And so uh, feel free to change them around as long as it makes sense. So you'll want to take a look at the props in the show notes to see what Tyson was talking about um, if you're not watching the video. All right, Patiri on pick a prop for Jewel, which is the, car the, the component that's really just a little drop. It's a little small dot stroke. And this is an interesting one because it's like, I, I, I've really enjoyed having uh, uh, Pet Patiri on the course because he's kind of... Um, you know, he's looking at things in great detail, which is uh, always nice to have. But let's talk about what he says here. He says, there's a potential problem with this prop. In the system, the following character, Bai, um, is introduced as using this prop. And then the next one is Jin. But in the former, this stroke is written from top right to bottom left. And in the latter, from top left to bottom right. Some other examples are Di, Dui, Jin, Jia, Feng, Bo, Zi, etc. Uh, come to think of it, the only characters I come up with which use the top right to bottom left stroke are Bai and Zi. And so uh, this to me is, and I, I totally can appreciate that Patiri is correct here, that this very small stroke, it's like, it's not even a full line. It's not even a full, what's called Pie or Na. So Na is the one we represent as banana and uh, Pie is the one we represent as samurai sword. So it's basically... Uh, na is top left to bottom right, and Pia is top right to bottom left. But they're full strokes. This is a very short stroke. And so our attitude towards this is making that distinction when it's so small is kind of missing the point of that you're always trying, you should always be going for things as simple as possible. And so the idea of switching the direction of the stroke doesn't mean you have to have a different prop for it you can have the same prop because it's such a simple uh, stroke and if you want in your scenes you can imagine an eyedropper that's facing one way or the eyedropper is facing the other way and have the positioning change but there's no real need to change the uh, prop itself simply because of the direction in which this small stroke changes because the point here is to simplify to the greatest degree possible while still being distinct and memorable from other characters. And as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I'm sure most people on the course are concerned, considering that we've not gotten loads of complaints about this, um, this isn't a uh, confusing enough difference to demand having two props. So we, if it doesn't require two props, go with the simpler option, have one prop. And so that's how we look at it, but I do appreciate how much detail you're looking at it in uh, Pateri and uh, 
Certainly nothing wrong with that. I just don't think it's actually necessary to create separate prompts. John Grist on new vocabulary unlocked for May. And we put in parentheses next to May because it, it really is just May, meaning every, plus a measure word. So he says, I don't see the measure word in 人每天都要吃饭为了身体好我们每天都要走一走 and what's interesting here is that it's totally understandable why John doesn't see the measure word because the measure word is actually day and I can see how that doesn't feel like a measure word it just feels like the word for day but day is a measure word it's a measuring time and breaking it down into uh, the category of day. So by saying mei tian, we're essentially saying every measure word day, tian. And that it's kind of totally understandable why that wouldn't appear to be a measure word because you could say like tian hei le, which would mean like the sky has become dark. The sky has darkened its nighttime. And that would not be a measure word usage of tian, but when it's after May, May, Tian, then it's actually the measure word uh, as compared to, for example, May Zhou would mean every week or May Nian would be every year. So in all of these situations, there can be time-based measure words that are just measuring time. May um, Fen Zhong, so that would be every minute. So uh, that's how that works. Richard Krauss on new vocabulary unlocked Zhen Zhen, and he says, uh, what is the meaning or purpose of in the first three sentences. So there are three in Chinese. One of them is the most common possession, like my son. That's the most common one. And then there's the which indicates um, one of two things. It either indicates the uh, that a you put the verb before it and then you indicate how the verb was done. So run fast or walk fast and the in between is connecting the verb and the adjective but if you want to put the adjective before the verb for example or that's uh study conscientiously you'll use this third and this du happens to be the same character as the word for di, which is di shang, which means ground. But when it's in between um, an adjective and a verb, it's essentially turning the adjective into an adverb. So zhen means conscientious. Zhen means conscientiously. So zhen conscientiously study. Right, and so it's a, a very useful way to turn an adjective into an adverb, and adverbs go before verbs, so that's why the d is there. Alina on new vocabulary unlocked for shenti. She says this is a rare case where I could use my props to memorize this compound word. The mask Jim Carrey, which is her prop for the full character shen, loses body because Joker the prop for the left side of T, writes it down in the death note notebook, the prop for the right side of T, but. So she basically has three props to remember that shen means body. 
I was wondering if other people have found some more clues or interesting ideas for memorizing compound words. Some of them can be really troublesome for me to forge them into my mind. So I would appreciate, appreciate some more ideas. So first of all, this is obviously not a requirement. What Alina has done here is uh, a cool little thing that you can totally do if you want, but it's not a requirement. And I, I want to emphasize this again. Uh, in case you know you haven't seen the podcast for a while or you just haven't seen this part of the course. The reason why compound words do not require as much uh, of a focused effort in the mnemonic system as characters do is because, well, there's two main reasons. So compound words have a connection to the lower layers of characters, components, and pinyin, and connections to the higher layers of sentences. So as you continue through the course, you'll be seeing more and more words in the context of sentences, which gives you more potential avenues to understand what it means. And the word shenti uh, comes up, uh, I believe, in level 12. So you're not really into too many sentences by then. So it's still in that stage where there's a little bit less to work with to memorize a character, but it still can totally be done. Uh, it's just a matter of... Um, it's just a matter of not really getting there yet, where you're getting the sentences coming in day to day. Uh, that said, I like what she did here. It's kind of cool that she could take the three props that were there and make a scene to remember it. But I think the key is just to have a strong enough image connection that you, uh, you know, in the beginning of phase two in level seven, we talk about the Anki add-on for searching for images that you can put into your word connection cards. As long as that image is good enough and you think about something from your real life that relates to the character, that sh or the, the word, that should be enough to get you to the point where you remember what it means long enough so that when you see it in a sentence, it's not forgotten. So you don't have to memorize it to the point of like, I could never forget it. You just need to remember it well enough so that when you start to see it in lots of sentences, you're not you haven't completely forgotten what it is. You're like, shinti, oh yeah, that was that word that meant body. And even though I didn't totally memorize it, now I'm seeing it in a sentence which slightly solidifies my understanding of it more. And then, you know, before you know it, you'll have seen it in hundreds of sentences and it will be easily memorable. So the key is just to always think about how does this word relate to my real life? Every single word in the foundation course is a word that whose translation you already have some experience with in your life um, because they're basic words. So, you know, nothing in the foundation course is specialized. So once you get beyond your foundational knowledge and you get to specialized knowledge, then it's quite possible that you haven't had experience with the word in your life. But nothing in the foundation course for any adult is something that you haven't come to some experience with. So just think about what do I know about this word already? What images come to mind? What personal experiences come to mind? And just make sure it gets into the flashcard. And then that should be enough to at least hold the memory uh, in your sort of mid, short to midterm memory uh, long enough so that you can see it in sentences which will get it into your long-term memory. Pateri asks a question that's a good question about the, uh, the words nanda and nuda. And so he says, are nanda and nuda normal words or rare ones just used here because characters for other words aren't introduced yet? Is there a video about the different words to describe the genders? So uh, nanda, nuda. So by saying nanda, you're basically saying uh, nanda something, right? So 
when you just say nanda, you're omitting what's probably obvious in the context. So if I say nanda, tasha nanda, I'm suppose I was pointing towards a dog, right? I might say tasha nanda. If I wanted to be a little bit more accurate, I would say tasha gonda, but that's uh, because animals are usually separated by gong for males and mu for females. But still, you could say tashinanda, and the the Chinese person you're talking to would understand, but they'd also understand that you mean tashinanda go or dog. Tashinanda dog. You don't need to say the word for dog, which is go. You don't need to say that for them to understand. So nanda nuda, there's an implied word that's omitted after d. So if I was pointing to a woman and I said tashinuda, the implication is that I'm saying tashinuda zhen, but you don't need to put zhen in there because it's obvious from the context. So nanda uh, nuda will definitely be used fairly frequently. And really anytime you see that kind of uh, sort of omission after the d, it's because whatever the noun would be that's there is clear through the context of the situation. And so it's just omitted. And so, yeah, you could say nanren nujen. That would mean, you know, man or woman. But some context you'll say, it's more like you want to be descriptive. And when you want to be descriptive, you'll say nanda nuda. I'm describing this person. And so for that reason, I'll use nanda nuda or loads of other words where you would leave out the um, whatever comes after d because it's obvious. Next, a message, a uh, comment on level 14 complete from Attilio. He says, hi all, the past year has been a most enjoyable ride with Mandarin Blueprint. While, I'm nowhere, while I am nowhere near where I would like to be with my Mandarin, at least spoken Mandarin, I must say that I am gaining more confidence trying what I've learned so far when I am at my workplace, where I'm fortunate to have native Chinese and Taiwanese colleagues who help me with my mistakes and also encourage me to keep practicing my Mandarin. On a side note, if you ever want to have some fun, watch a YouTuber named Xiaoma, Little Pony. He's a young American, at least I think he's American. He is fluent in Mandarin and also some Cantonese. He randomly walks up to native Chinese speakers on the streets of China and New York City and starts off by asking questions in English and then shifts to Mandarin. I enjoy his videos and envy his fluency in Mandarin. Cheers. Yeah, I think I've uh, seen that guy before. He's uh, he's pretty cool. And Atilio is, um, Atilio is apparently moving through the course relatively methodically because uh, after a year, if you're only on level 14, you're moving through it, you know, fairly slowly. But uh, nonetheless, though, I, I actually have a lot of admiration for people who do it like that because it's just a reminder that there's no rule about how quickly or slowly you move through the course. It's just about not making zero progress. So yeah, if you're at level 14, you're not going to be at where you want to be with Mandarin yet. I mean, nobody really ever gets to exactly where they want to be. I mean, I could be better at Mandarin. Luke could be better at Mandarin. Our friend Scott, who hosts major events and is uh, emceeing uh, huge stadium filled people, he could have better Mandarin. Like there's always a higher goal. Uh, but uh, you have the right attitude because you're recognizing that, hey, I'm not where I am, but I have these people around me who are encouraging and I can keep uh, growing from this place. So uh, excellent stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's really great to hear that. And, and thanks for the recommendation about uh, Xiaoma. 
Next, we have Yasmin on bonus how to develop great study habits part four, belief. She quotes uh, one of the things I say in the video. She says, it's a decision, not a desire. These words are so true. We can sit around all day wishing for something, but unless you make the decision to go for it, it won't happen. Great motivational video. You're one of the most, you're one of those positive people you were talking about. Ah, yeah, sure. I think I mentioned in the video that you want to stick around positive people when it comes to the, uh, the the journey. Like, you don't want people around who are like, why are you learning Chinese? What's the point of that? Like, what? it's the hardest language in the world. Why is this going to take you forever? Like, that whole sort of negative attitude as opposed to just going like, what are you going to do today to get better? You know, do it. Go for it. You can do it. No doubt about it. It's not like it's going to be an easy journey, but there's not a question as to whether or not you can do it. So it really is a decision. And so I'm glad to hear that that connected with you, Yasmin, and uh, keep it up. All right, next we're going to move on to some movie scene shares. This is the good stuff. This is where people share their movie scenes uh, in full, and I'll give them a little critique. So first we have Tyson on make a movie for tall, which means noisy. Hearing a lot of noise, my CH actor busts into the room to find the mouth trying to use sound waves to move a badminton shuttlecock, which is the other component, across the room. It's so noisy that the mouth can't hear CH shouting for him to stop. So much noise. Yeah, so I can imagine this, you know, so he's trying to use sound waves, which is a way we can try to visually represent sound. Uh, and again, when you're coming up with these mnemonic scenes, you can make anything happen. So you can have, imagine the sound waves. And he's trying to move the badminton shuttlecock across the room, which is something I can imagine potentially moving from the sound waves because it's quite light. Um, and it's so noisy that the mouth can't hear the CH actor shouting for him to stop, which you could easily display. You could just have that situation of imagining so much noise and then you see him going like, but you can't hear it over the... Um, over the, the din, as it were. So that's a great scene, I love it. Kent on Make a Movie for Yo. Yadina is in the living room, so I guess that's his uh, uh, actress for I, Y-I. Yadina is in the living room of my OU set. She is auditioning new actors for a remake of Dirty Dancing. A werewolf is first up and they are set to do the famous lift. Oh, right, from Dirty Dancing. You have to practice this a lot. You will have to have this perfected if you want to be in the movie. So have, in this case, is, you know, yo means possess or have. So he's kind of doubling up the meaning of have because there's have as in possess, and then there's have like have to, as in you, you must. And so he's kind of mixing the English uh, homonyms here. And, you know, I think that this scene is, you know, okay. It's got the uh, werewolf. Um, and although I'm wondering about the second prop here. A werewolf is first up in there. They do the famous lift. You have to practice light. You have to have this perfect if you want to be in the movie. I'm not seeing where the other prop is coming in. So the werewolf, I'm sure, is the representation of moon because uh, we had the moon component there at the bottom. Werewolf comes out at the full moon. So that makes sense. But I'm not seeing the holster uh, prop in this scene. So there's that's one element that we would need to add. And then the only thing I worry about is that the meaning of the character only comes out in um, the words 
that the, I guess is the, the werewolf is saying, or Yadina is saying. And so that is probably not enough to remember. You want to get something that really indicates have, and maybe you could use contrast where somebody has nothing, like they're, uh, they're a beggar on the street, or they, they're completely impoverished and they have nothing and they go to having something. Or um, somebody doesn't have a voice and then they have the voice, or they maybe you show um, a montage of uh, going from not having any dancing skills to having dancing skills. And I mean, that last one I said even is a little bit tenuous, but that would be a bit better because then you could show the montage of, I don't know how to dance at all and I don't have any skills. And then you do the montage and now they have the skills. It's possible that that would work a little bit better. I just worry that only the uh, the words there isn't going to stick long enough because, um, you know, that's what we want with memories to have things that are more visual. Kent again on make a movie for sway, which means casual. I'm talking to Superman in the kitchen of my EI set. All right, so we got the uh, pronunciation already taken care of, Sway. He just got a new iPhone and wants to try out the wide angle feature. Maybe I'll take a picture of the entire Berlin Wall, he says. That's a great idea. Will you just fly over there and do that, I ask? No, I'm going casual as Clark Kent. So I'll just take a flying carpet so I don't get recognized. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so I guess the um, the uh, iPhone is the representation of the... Right, yeah, it's probably the representation of Yo, because everybody has to have their iPhone all the time. The Berlin Wall is the left side component, and the Magic Carpet's the component there. Uh, I think this one works better, because uh, Superman's alter ego of Clark Kent is you know, comparatively more casual. Uh, so I think that that could possibly, that could potentially get to work. Perhaps you want to imagine Clark Kent and he's like in a Hawaiian shirt and he's uh, got flip-flops on or something. H however you like to imagine casual. Maybe he's set up a hammock on top of his flying carpet so he can look even more casual. But yeah, that's the, uh, the general idea. That's just some stuff to maybe make it a little clearer about the meaning, but it is pretty good. I like that. Um, it's a bit clearer than your previous one, so that's good. And then next we have Kent again on make a movie for yo, which means friend or friendship. Idina is in the living room of my OU set. She is still auditioning for the male lead for the remake of Dirty Dancing. So he's connecting those two uh, scenes here. That's good. Um, because the werewolf didn't work out, she has decided to ask baby to bring in a friend to try out. So I guess baby's the representation of the uh, bottom component here. Baby decides she would bring her close friend Ernie. Oh no, he's saying Ernie is the representation of Yo. Edina uh, says, I'm glad you were such close friends. That way you can practice the lift more often. Okay, so uh, I guess that uh, baby must be the representation of the sort of holster, what we would call the holster component, but I guess... Um, Kent went with a different component there, which is fine. And the idea that a baby could be friends with Ernie from Bert and Ernie definitely makes sense. I think that that's fine. Um, once again, I think there's a little bit too much speech in this one, if possible. Like, if you can show friendship through some other form, like whether it's... Uh, we've talked before about how you could do some kind of a montage of things you associate specifically with friends, whatever that is. Uh, but uh, again, there's nothing too wrong with this scene. It's just perhaps a little bit too much speaking. 
Next, we have Tristan on Make a Movie for Tongue, which means to sing. Charlie is in the bathroom of the ANG set, and in his towel, um, singing Pocket Full of Sunshine as the mouth and sons sing along in the mirror. Um, okay, sure. Yeah, that's, uh, you've got the two sons and you've got the mouth, and, uh, yeah, singing Pocket Full of Sunshine definitely is a good one there. I like the simplicity of that scene. It's straightforward. You've got, um... The singing happening, and I mean, singing is a pretty straightforward uh, keyword. You can represent that one visually quite easily. And uh, I like how the sons are singing along as well. Uh, that's kind of hilarious. The mouth makes sense. You have to give the sons faces and have them sing too. That works out. Can't I make a movie for Fa? Flavor Flav is out front, first tone of my A set. Bernie uh, sees him and thinks he is breaking in. She pulls out her samurai sword, sending a drop of blood through the air, and screams, I'm going to send you to your maker, you thief. Uh, I think that's, that one's fine, because, you know, uh, send you to your maker, and that, you know, I'm going to send you to meet your maker. That's uh, fair enough. And um, so, sure, it's like, have the facial expression, the, the murderous facial expression, the determination, and uh, perhaps when she swings the samurai sword, the... Um, Flavor Flav gets, you know, sort of sent right up to heaven, <laughs> just just shot up into the sky, um, and that should work out just fine. Maybe maybe as she's hitting Flavor Flav, he gets hit up into the sky and gets folded into an envelope as it's happening, because that's what you're doing. You're sending it out, <laughs> so that works out nice. Tyson on make a movie for Jian to see. This scene relies more on its comedic feeling. I'm in the backyard of my Anne set with my J.I. actor. She thinks that she saw the cardboard box behind me move, and she's also, she also thinks that she caught a glimpse of two legs moving it. Did you see that? See what? It happens again. You didn't see that? See what? How could you not see that? Etc. So sure, I can imagine that that's... Uh, yeah, that, I don't even think that that's um, that bad of a representation of C, because that's a good sort of connection with the idea of C is like did you see that and he turns around and the comedic element is like well no now it's not moving anymore and then it moves again did you see it no so sure I think that that's a great way of representing C um perfect scene excellent Canton make a movie for Fung which means wind I'm walking into the front door first tone of work ENG one day and I see Flavor Flav at the valet stand uh, which is the outer component and he's putting on uh, he's putting a pair of scissors the inner component into the stand what are you doing that for i ask flave answers oh that is just because of the wind just using these as a paperweight uh by the way did i ever tell you about the time sorry flave i interject i don't really have time and you tend to be awfully long-winded. Okay, sure. Well, perhaps what you could do to make it even clearer that there's wind involved and that the uh, uh, the scissors are serving as a paperweight is that when he starts to talk, you can actually represent the idea of him being long-winded by gu big gusts of wind coming out of his mouth and maybe causing uh, the the scissors to you know slightly move in the wind of his long-winded speech. Uh, so that could be another way to just make that a little clearer. But otherwise, I like it. It's good. Kent on Make a Movie for Nah, which means that. Amy, her, uh, the A, I guess it's uh, 
maybe her place, is sponsoring the traveling exhibit of the Berlin Wall in her backyard, fourth tone. Noah has come over to help assemble it. Amy points to some barbed wire and says, pick that up and put that over there, which is not, which is sort of, you know, that and there both use that same uh, character. And so that's probably fine because, you know, you've got the components involved and that and this are very super abstract. So the fact that she's pointing at the things over there, take that and put that there. And then, you know, there's all the perspective from Amy is that she's not here with this. It's that and there. And that's what not is all about. It's all about what's not, you know, directly in on your person because that's what you, the type of thing you'd use to say this or here and no it's over there so it's there and that so that's you know clear enough and we've got the barbed water, wire we've got the berlin wall i think that should be fine now next kent continues with the character nah i'm in the living room third tone of amy's looking out on noah and amy assembling the traveling berlin wall so she, it's like a connection to the previous scene just as they are adding barbed wire uh to the wall a howler, which is the representation of Co, shows up and asks, where did that come from? Which one of you fools is responsible? So where, in this case, is, is uh, Nar, and which is Nah. And so I like that. So, yeah, so I think that the idea of the howler coming in, being indignant, is a good way to uh, represent the idea of which or where, because when you're asking those types of questions, you're usually kind of indignant. So that's fine. That makes sense. Next, we have Tyson on Make a Movie for Jun, which means true or genuine. Scene for Jun. Discussion with my friend Jerry outside of my EN set. I asked him what the measure of truth is. He pulls out his measuring tape, which is the top component, and two chopsticks, the bottom component, and says, we can find out. Jerry, we can't get the measure of the truth that way. <laughs> I love that. So the way Jerry thinks the measure of truth is going to happen is through some chopsticks and a measuring tape. Uh, you know, hey, maybe he's got some uh, some tricks up his sleeve, but I can see how that's <laughs> sort of silly. Nice. Next, we have Belinda on Make a Movie for She says, so this is the character for and that actually um, Rick brought up earlier saying, could we use harmony for this? But she's going to use and. She says, my E set is a department store I used to work at. So for this one, I have comedian Hassan Minaj, the manager, trying to find the Rolling Stones mouth employee who's gone missing from the shop floor. Hassan finds the mouth lounging around in the break room kitchen, chewing on a stalk of wheat. So we've got the two... Uh, uh, props involved now, which the mouth immediately spits out on being caught. Hassan is flabbergasted and can only yell with, and what do you think you're doing? So yeah, like this is um, a way of kind of, I guess, getting across the idea of and, um, and again, it's speech, but it's, it's an abstract concept, so I can see how this might work. Um, certainly, you know, if you can find a way to perhaps get across options that are happening, because like and gives you, it tends to be like two things, right? This and that. So if there's two uh, options you can have, like maybe Hassan walks in and finds the mouth lounging around the break room and he's 
chewing a stalk of wheat and, uh, you know, Hassan himself. Like, I don't know, Hassan walks in and he starts to get get eaten. He's like, you're going to eat me? Like, you're going to meet eat me too? Wheat and me, perhaps? I mean, something where there's two choices will make that a little bit clearer, I think. But, um, you know, this, should, this will probably work because, again... When you have something like this, you are getting the actor, you are getting the props, you are getting everything involved. It's just maybe the meaning isn't expressed clearly enough, but, um, you know, it's still likely going to be memorable because this character is so common. So uh, I think you'll be all right. Belinda on Make a Movie for Bao. She says, I have Ben Affleck arriving at a birthday party at my AO set friend's house. He's outside the entrance struggling to hold the gift of a snakeskin purse in a snakeskin box with his broken arm, which is in a cast, all wrapped up, while he uses his free hand to ring the doorbell. So, right, so I like this situation. So, everything's very clear. The character means ball to, uh, which is a bag, or in this case, sort of, yeah, the snakeskin purse. And that's, it's a gift, so it's a snakeskin box. I like that. Adds a little extra flavor. And he's got his arm in a cast, which is kind of memorable because you can imagine him struggling, and that's the representation of the wrapped-up component. So that's all clear, and um, yeah, perfect scene. Love it. Everything's very clear, and there's also that struggle that makes it a bit more memorable as well, and his look of frustration as he's trying to get get the, the bag and ring the doorbell. Belinda, again, on... Make a movie for Bay, which means a cup or glass. Ben Affleck is at the entrance of my old high school, the EI set. Drinking a cup of eggnog, so you've got cup in here already. Scrooge comes out to point at the nearby Christmas tree. So Scrooge is probably her representation of bull, which is the right side component. And the Christmas tree is the left side. So Scrooge comes out to point at the nearby Christmas tree, which has a big red circular no band signed to the right of it. Scrooge says, bah humbug, and knocks the drink out of Ben's hand, which makes Ben yell, hey, that's my cup. So, uh, yeah, I think this is okay. I'm not sure what Scrooge is the representation of, because now I see that there's a sign of no and banned on the Christmas tree. So I'm not sure exactly how Scrooge fits into the story, because Ben Affleck is a representation of B, the high school's EI. They're outside the entrance for first tone. We've got the representation of the tree was Christmas tree and this no band sign uh, on the Christmas tree itself, which I think is the representation of Boo. So I'm not exactly sure where Scrooge fits into this, unless he's like an extra with the Christmas tree, perhaps. Um, although that would be a little bit bending the rules. We don't usually do extras with props. We do extras with actors. But, you know, still though, I like the scene. I think it's a funny scene. So I think that is probably memorable in and of itself. And also, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe Scrooge is the representation of Boo. Um, Because, of course, he was so miserly, so he would say no to any kind of uh, uh, acts of charity. Belinda, I'm making a movie for Gong. So this is, like, public. I went with the musical triangle prop rather than the elbow. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it looks like a triangle. Thanks for the suggestion in the comments a few vids, vids back. So I have Graham Norton downtown wanting to busk with his triangle even though he's not very good he steps outside a government building her ong set 
but he's not sure if it's the best place. So he gets out his Magic 8 Ball, the top component, and asks if he should start playing here. After being shaken, the Magic 8 Ball says, No way, you're in public. So I think that that's fine. Um, I think that the, uh, the idea that it's outside a government building is actually fortuitous, because a government building is, of course, um, you know, a public building. It's a public sort of service. The public servants uh, live in the government building, so or work in the government building. So that alone might be okay. And of course, busking in public is a public event anyway. You can maybe imagine some public buses going by or imagine it near a public park. But yeah, there's enough in there to be able to make that very clear if you make some small adjustments. Having the word public come up on the eight ball is probably not enough, but there's enough in the environment to make the idea of public get across that you should be okay. Belinda, I make a movie for Thai. My AI set is actually a mall. In the food court kitchen, there's an empty stage. At the front of the stage, there's a big Rolling Stones mouth sign, and people in the food, carts, the food court start getting excited, thinking the Rolling Stones are going to play a surprise pop-up concert. But instead, a platform rises from the stage, and it's just Tom Hanks playing the triangle. Right, so we got the triangle on the top, we got the Rolling Stones mouth, the stage itself is a representation of the meaning, and then the uh, food court of the mall is the second tone, and Tom Hanks is the, is the uh, actor, so I like it. And that's, of course, you have the build-up of the excitement and then the disappointment, although how can you be disappointed at Tom Hanks playing Triangle? But, uh, you know, still, the, the, it's going to be Mick Jagger, and then uh, it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> and so that's a, that's a good scene. I like it. Perfect. Ija, make a movie for lie, which means to rely on. Her actor is Leonardo DiCaprio at her neighborhood Ikea. And the props are a bouquet of roses, uh, a courier guy, and a courier guy on a motorbike. Leo just came back from fighting bears and had forgotten his mom's birthday. <laughs> nice uh, reference to The Revenant. He was fidgeting in the parking lot uh, of my neighbor's Ikea holding a bouquet of roses. Just like everyone else, he relied a lot on online services to get things done. He used an app to call for a rider. The courier guy arrived and quickly went off to dispatch Leo's roses. Technology is so reliable these days. So sure, we've got a lot of uh, relying uh, ideas in here. I think that's probably clear enough. You know, maybe one of the things that could happen is that his phone briefly doesn't work or something and he freaks out because he relies on it. Uh, and then maybe it comes back on to finish the scene. But, like, you could have a moment like that where he has this panic because the thing he relies on is not there. Uh, but otherwise, it's good. Ija, make a movie for Li, which means uh, to be away from or to leave. The actor is Lady Gaga inside the kitchen of her childhood home. And the props are a brain in a jar, glass cover, and a slice of pizza. Lady Gaga was happily walking into my childhood kitchen with a slice of pizza when she saw a brain in a jar on the kitchen counter. She immediately felt grossed out by the sight of the raw, 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 raw organ. Um, to protect her pizza from unwanted splashes, she covered it with a glass cover and walked away from it to go to the sink to puke. Okay, so she got she got to be she had to be away from the raw 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 organ. <laughs> and uh, 
to protect her pizza from the unwanted splashes, she gets the uh, the glass cover in, which is a, a logical reason why it would need to be there uh, because of the, um, you know, the gross <laughs> brain in the tank. So, awesome. Um, I like it, and there's clearly some distance that needs to be had, uh, some uh, boundaries that need to be drawn, and so that's good. I like it. This is more of a, it's not a movie scene show, it's a, a suggestion for the uh, movie for Tiao the Wu, which is kind of a complex character. And so Julian says, this one is so complex, to make it simpler, I combine the whole top part, uh, everything but the eye mask and zombie components, into a zipper component. And I totally can see this. This is fine because the top part does kind of look like a zipper, and that's enough. Like, it just has to look like a zipper for... Um, you to remember it. So actually, I think that's fine, and that makes it easier to remember because you have fewer props. So if that's what you want to do for this character, make the top bit uh, a zipper, uh, that's fine. And that'll make it easier. Belinda on Make a Movie for Jue. So this will be to decide. The kitchen slash break room area of my E set is completely iced over. Icicles like an ice cave. Clifford the Big Red Dog is absolutely freezing. My JU actor can't find any blankets, but there is a two-part horse costume. The fleecy type, like that of a mascot. He says Clifford has to decide whether to wear it to warm up or whether it's just too silly. Clifford decides to wear it, so the actor puts the horse head on Clifford. So right, so you're creating a scenario where there's a need, which is that Clifford is absolutely freezing, and that's done so by the ice. And of course, the ice is one of the props, and Clifford's the big red dog there, and then the horse head's the final prop. And the decision comes down to whether or not he wants to be silly or, uh, you know, let dignity be damned and uh, wear the crazy weird horse head. And so uh, I like that because that is a choice that, you know, you have to make if you're in somewhat of a desperate situation. Uh, you just go, I don't care if. It, this, um, you know, uh, like, for example, a really masculine-looking guy wearing some kind of, like, very feminine-looking pink coat to warm up or something like that. You can imagine, you'd be like, oh, what a tough decision. Do I keep my dignity or do I just accept that I'm too cold? I like it. Linda and make a movie for Dom, which means basically to move. Daniel Radcliffe is directing an action movie in the backyard of my ONG work building. So it's like an action type of situation. Daniel yells, action, and the scene starts with a big angry cloud coming from the left to chase a Power Ranger. Okay, cool. So she, her representation of Lee is a Power Ranger. I like that. That's a good, good representation. And it's uh, just a straightforward situation because the idea of action and like the snapping of the... Um, I forgot what that thing's called, but we don't know what we're talking about in the uh, in movies. And um, the idea of having that is visually represent, you can easily visually represent that. And then the big angry cloud coming from the left tasted Power Ranger. I mean, that alone is pretty crazy. So I think that's awesome. Next, Belinda and make a movie for which is River. Hassan Minaj goes to the kitchen slash break room of the E store where he works for a drink of water. He's absolutely parched. Barack Obama is at the water cooler and lifts out the entire bottle so he can hand it to the thirsty Hassan. On taking a big gulp, Hassan spits it out and says, this is absolutely foul, to which Obama says, oops, I forgot this water is from the river. 
we have to filter it first. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So, um, right, so Obama's a representation of the right component because he had the yes we can uh, motto, and so that's the, the character itself means can, so it's the yes we can motto. And then, uh, you know, since he's, we have to have water involved, the, the idea of river water, it, that's like you can imagine the gr kind of gross feeling of that. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to add a little bit more to the scene to make it even clearer, maybe they, it, when Hassan um, spits out the river water, it actually lands on the floor and creates a little river on the floor. I mean, that wouldn't happen physically, but it's your imagination, so you can just make it a little clearer by doing that. But otherwise, I love that scene. It's a great scene. Okay, Tyson on Make a Movie for Soup. Because su means to accuse, to complain, to tell, I designed a scene that combines these three. There's a court proceeding in my old backyard, uh, childhood home. Superman is being charged with damaging a lot of property. He is being restrained by a small half kilo weight, which is the uh, one of the components there, made of kryptonite and a threatening water dropper filled with kryptonite. Okay, nice. So that's the... Uh, uh, the two components with on the right side. Because there are so many people gathered, I have to use a megaphone, the left side component, to tell all the complaints that he's accused of. Right, so this has got that courtroom scene to it, uh, despite, you know, being in the backyard of a childhood home. And uh, it logically consistent because <clears throat> the half kilo weight is kryptonite, and there's, there's kryptonite in the um, water dropper, which gets the actor to in influence the props, which you gotta like. And uh, the, the megaphone's necessary because there's so many people around. And then it starts the sort of formal court proceedings, which expresses the uh, meaning quite well. So, perfect. Awesome. Jack on Make a Movie for Tian, which means simple. J.I. character jumping up and down on the bed, uh, shaking the bamboos above her head and, sinking, and singing simply irresistible to the beat of a metronome. So yeah, the metronome's the lower part to the intervals. The bamboo is um, the upper component, and simply irresistible is the way of getting across the idea of simple. And speaking of simple, that's a very simple scene that gets everything across very quickly. Love to see that type of stuff, Jack. So well done. That's awesome. And then uh, Jack, final one for today, Jack, on Make a Movie for Si, as in Gong Si, or Operation, or Operator. Uh, the soundtrack, sung by the Rolling Stones' mouth, is Smooth Operator. And so, that's perfect. I love when you get music involved. Um, obviously, there's got to be more to that scene, but that's it. Once you have that as your keyword connection, it makes everything else kind of just fall into place quite naturally. So, thank you for listening again today, guys. Bit of a long one today, but... Uh, uh, we're always happy to get so many great um, submissions each week. And once again, hugely grateful to everybody for their participation in the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. Please feel free to go to mandarinblueprint.com to learn more if you're not already on the course. And if you are on the course, uh, please leave us a review on Facebook or Google reviews. And... Um, you know, leave us a review on iTunes for the podcast. And it would just be great to... Um, get some more shares of the course around uh, social media and all that. So uh, thanks again. My name is Phil Kermans, and we'll see you next week.